Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We have reached the end of yet another cataclysmic week, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it all started off with the coronation. Uh, it all started off, of course, with a bank holiday on Monday. But here we are. Uh, we get the news this morning, brought to you uh, by Her Majesty's Daily Telegraph, no less, uh, that there could be a million people that have come to this country. That's net migration. So that means some people have left. It's actually more than that, uh, if you look at the real figures. It could be one million people that have come here since 2020. They've come here to study. Uh, they've come here because they might be uh, a part of a family of people who have come here to study. They've come here to work, supposedly. Uh, they've come here to do all manner of things. How on earth is a Tory government, which is supposed to be strong on immigration, which is supposed to be strong on taking back control of our borders, how are they allowing this to happen? Because this, ladies and gentlemen, is nothing to do with the small boats, nothing to do with people coming here illegally. This is people coming here with our permission and with our good graces, uh, and we've actually invited them here. One million people. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had a, quite a big struggle uh, trying to find myself room to park my car, trying to find myself a seat on a train, trying to find myself somewhere to go that isn't crowded with people, somewhere where there isn't a queue. Every pharmacy in the country has a queue. Uh, you can't get to see a GP because there aren't enough of them. You can't get a dentist for your children because there aren't enough of them. You can't get into the hospital to get your appointment done because there's too many people in there ahead of you. There's a problem with overpopulation in this country, and yet this government thinks we should invite another million people here. And that was in 2022. What's 2023 going to bring? Five million? Do they think we have elasticated borders, like a pair of trousers that you just expand whenever your waistband overflows? It's ridiculous. It's mad. Richard Tice is here. We're going to talk to him about it. Isabel Oakshot's going to be talking to us as well. Lord Jackson also uh, is here. In other news, uh, we've got some more wokery to discuss because the front page uh, of uh, the Daily Mail this morning says, don't say convicts because it might upset the criminals. If you go to prison, apparently you're not a convict. Uh, and if you leave prison, you're now a prison leaver as opposed to an ex-con. What on earth are they talking about? Persons with lived experience is another thing you could call them. How about persons with minds that are wrong and who want to do you harm? They're in prison for a reason. They're a danger to the population, for heaven's sake. Also, coming up, uh, we're going to not be talking about what's going on in the supermarkets. We are going to be talking about whether or not prices are going to go even higher. We are going to be talking about whether the Bank of England have any clue what they're doing uh, as they put uh, the interest rates up yet again. We are also going to be talking, of course, about many things as well to do with the shutdown uh, of debates at Cambridge University. We've got Charlie Bentley Asteron, who's a student up there, who's just been told she can't show a film because the bloke who made the film once did an interview with Jordan Peterson and therefore, obviously, is an enemy of the people. I mean, come on. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Also, what about Brexit and those uh, Brexit EU rules that we were supposed to be doing away with? Uh, Kimmy Badenoch has uh, been in trouble with the Speaker of the House who's turning more and more into John Burko with every single day that passes. We'll be bringing you all of that, plus your views as well. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let us get it on. Well, 
What can I say? Uh, Richard Tyson's here. Very good morning, Richard. It's not a good morning, actually, Mike, no, I'm afraid. It, it is isn't. just morning. Yes. And it is grey, and I think many people will wake up feeling incredibly gloomy with this news. Because essentially, mm. what's happened in the last 24 hours is that the government has confirmed they have totally and utterly abandoned Brexit. Yeah. Lock, stock and barrel. If you remember, we were supposed to take back control of our laws, yeah. our money and our borders. Yes. And the news that's come out overnight in the Daily Telegraph is just a forecast mm. of what's going to come out on May the 25th on the official government numbers. I think this is sort of managing the expectations. Yeah. It's by the Centre for Policy Studies. But they are forecasting that the net number, so the gross number will be that, that have come in during the whole of 2022. Well, at least another third, won't it? Well, like it'll be about half. one and a half million. Yeah. So that's gross. The net number, after you take away those who've left, will be around a million people. Yeah. Just reflect on that in 12 months. Yeah. So when people say there's a housing crisis, an affordability crisis, well, it's not surprising if there's a million more people. When you say there's a health crisis, you can't see a GP, it's not surprising. Yeah. When you say that uh, you, you, you can't, um, well, you can't a benefits drive crisis. anywhere, you can't drive anywhere, cars. there's a benefits crisis, yeah. because millions of people, you know, I'm hearing stories of the fraud that's going on yeah. within the benefits system. Mm. Is that potentially people that are coming to this country? Who knows? What is clear is that at every level, Britain basically is full. Yeah. And I believe we are reaching breaking point. Yeah. And this number, when, it's a, when it comes out officially on May the 25th, that's the date to yeah. look out for, I think this, the, the vast majority of this country will say enough is yes. enough. Absolutely. Otherwise, if this carries on for a decade, that's another 10 million people. Yeah. Where are they going to go? Well, we spoke to um, um, uh, Professor Coleman, David Coleman, who's at Oxford and studied, studies demography. Um, and he basically said that by uh, it could be as, as soon as 20 or 25 years from now, there could be 100 million people living in Britain if this is not stopped. We spoke to Migration Watch at the start of the week, who said that their estimate is around 750,000. The reason the Telegraph has upped it is because uh, actually it's the Home Office who have said to them, we're, we're worried that it will be a million. That's, That's the right. Home Office saying it. Which, which basically means they've already got the numbers, they've already had a heads up, and everyone's running around like headless chickens mm. trying to work out what are the reasons. Yeah. And in the online piece of the Daily Telegraph, which has got this, which, by the way, has already overnight had over 2,000 mm. comments from distraught Brexiteers. Yes. Um, what becomes clear is the quantity of dependence of students and yeah. people coming here to work. Mm. So, for example, uh, there's some almost 490,000 students are mm. believed to have come here in 2022, yeah. together with an additional 135,000 dependents. Right. If you're coming here as a student, why do you need any dependent at all? Exactly. You're coming here to study. You're coming here to study for three years, there or thereabouts. There or thereabouts. There about. uh, you do the three years, you go home. But, oh, right? but, but here's the thing, you don't, because yeah. actually under the rules... After you've done a degree here, you can stay and work here for two years. Mm. And at the end of that two-year period, you can legally apply for a skilled worker visa, and then you're here forever. Yeah. So these it's are absolute these, nonsense, these numbers are now basically, yeah. they are bedded in, they are effectively permanent, and it's utterly, and utterly extraordinary. Excuse me for asking, but under which Conservative Party manifesto did we give them permission to do this, right? Because every, the, every the single... Because supposed to be tough on immigration. Instead, they're inviting the world to come and live here. Every single Conservative Party manifesto since 2010, which I think therefore is uh, it's four manifestos later, mm. all of them said that they were going to reduce immigration. Mm. And Boris Johnson in 2019 said we were going to take back control right. and reduce immigration. 
that was part of the Brexit story. But how story. are you reduce immigration if you actually have a policy which allows people to bring family members here and allows people to stay exactly. here after they finish their lives, so, so, in other words, right? So I'm, afraid, I'm afraid they have lied to us. Yeah. Ministers have been utterly incompetent. They've failed to do their job. Mm. They've failed to instruct the civil servants mm. who, who welcome all of this. Uh, and so the net consequence is that we people who live here, yeah. we are suffering. Yeah. The country is bursting at the seams. Yeah. And We're paying out money to people who should not be in receipt of money. We're paying right. £7 so, million pounds a day to house. We haven't even started talking yet about th- this the illegal is all, migrants. This is, this is all legal right? migration. Yeah. This is all people who've come here by the rules, yeah. under the rules of this incompetent Tory regime mm. over the last 13 years. And it is now peaking. And a million a year, within a decade, mm. that's another 10 million people. Yeah. That takes us from 70 to 80 yeah. million people. Well, we've fact, got an affordable housing crisis. We've got a health crisis. Yeah. We've got a benefits crisis. Nothing works in this country. No. The country's broken yeah. and the country is full. Yeah. It's as simple as that. And I don't understand why any government minister can justify their existence right now uh, because the schools are full, as you say, the hospitals are full, you know, the buses are full, the trains are full, the roads are absolutely completely and utterly impacted by it. You can't do anything. The Royal Mail doesn't work. You know, nothing works. It's why my policy, our policy, is the only sensible policy, which is to have net zero immigration. Yeah. The only net zero this country wants. You've got, you to, say, got to stop you've got, all of it. You've, you've got to say that uh, we will welcome in the same number that are leaving. Yeah. So the population is capped, and then you can actually get to grips with the current crisis we've got in housing and health and all the others. Yeah. And you can allow a probably a 10-year period to catch up, to build all the things that are required in order for the country to function properly yeah. and to get higher wages right. and to look after our own young people right. who can't get on the housing ladder. Mm. They can't get higher-paid jobs because... If you increase the supply of labour, guess what happens? It can, the, price the price of that labour goes, goes down. down. Yeah, and the whole point of Brexit was to raise the price of labour exactly. so that people who were the from least this country uh, would make more money. <clears throat> and it worked for a while. Worked in lorry driving business, yes. for example. A lot of British lorry drivers started to make proper money. A lot of European lorry drivers went back to their uh, original co- countries of, of birth. And that worked for a bit, but that seems to have all been forgotten now. Well, that's all being forgotten. And, uh, the, I mean, the acceleration, the growth in these numbers, is utterly, utterly extraordinary. And it's deliberate. It's deliberate by this Conservative regime and this civil service regime mm. who seem to think that if, if they increase the numbers, then that might help the overall GDP go up, but it doesn't help GDP yeah, but, per head, but per that, capita, but and the also, place doesn't work. But isn't that an entire shibboleth? Because they're basing an entire sort of immigration policy on an economic lie. Because you bring loads and loads of people into the country, it doesn't increase the GDP. Exactly. Because we end up paying them more money than they bring in. Which the which the chair of the Office of Budget Responsibility mm. admitted yeah. that actually uh, net immigration did not increase people's yes. wealth per head. He admitted that a few weeks right. ago. It had very little coverage, but it's one of the most significant statements by a government yeah. official, frankly, in the last decade, right. because it has exposed the lie that has been permeated mm. by so many people uh, on the left, yeah. so many of these sort of centrists, so many of these pro-immigration people, yeah. so many of the remoters, globalists, the globalists, the elite. The people might- who say, you know, why is it also that if we have a global economy, if we have a situation where everybody can go anywhere, why are they all coming here? Well, and coming, we're not going anywhere. Because the country used to work. Yeah. It used to be an attractive place to come to. 
Um, but they also know that actually uh, we've got, in many areas, we're over generous. Mm. We've got a we've got a, a health policy which is over generous to those who come here and don't have to pay for it. Yeah. We've got a benefits policy which is over generous and not challenging mm. people. You know what? If you can work, you should work. There's no such thing yeah. as a free lunch. But you see, I don't think many people are coming here not to work. I think they're coming here to work. Yes, but they're coming here to work in the black economy. They're coming here to work in a place where they don't pay any tax. They're coming here to get rich compared to where they come from. But at the end of the day, we're getting absolutely no benefit from it. Yeah. You know, the idea that all these Ramonas wander about Chiswick and go, oh, isn't it great? Uh, there's a nice Lebanese restaurant there full of people from Lebanon. Well, that's great. But uh, how many of them are paying tax? How much of our money uh, is actually being rec- recovered into this into the economy? And what about all these illegal migrants who we haven't even mentioned yet, who are costing us £7 million a day? It's unbelievable. And, and the real proof is in the pudding of the latest... Uh, GDP figures that have come out today. And some people are expressing excitement. Wow, in the first quarter of 2023, the economy's grown by 0.1 of a percent. Brilliant. That's basically flat. But in March, it fell by 0.3%. Mm. So as we get ever more people, things don't work. Mm. And actually, the economy is at best flatlining all going down. Mm. And the Tories are celebrating the fact that they might have gone up by 0.1%. That's not growth. No. That's a flatlining recessionary catastrophe. And the other problem that we'll mention is the fact that 650,000 people basically quit their jobs during the COVID pandemic and haven't been back to the economy since. It's even worse than that. There's one and a half million more people on out-of-work benefits than pre-COVID. That's where the labour force has gone. And instead of getting them back to work, the government and big businesses, the multinationals, they've just imported in 2022 net one million people. That's what's happened. And nothing's going to change this year. Mm. You can be sure of that. So that'll be another million this year. And so it goes on. Where are they going to go? Where are they going to live, Mike? Yeah. The queue for the uh, doctors is going to get longer, I'm afraid. Richard Tice is here. We've got plenty to talk about. We want to hear from you as well. 0344 499 1000. Because now people are starting to notice that there's an awful lot more people around. And I'm sure you will have noticed as well. So do let us know what is going on in your neck of the woods. This is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Just an update on the Labour Party and the uh, opposition leader, Sir Keir Starmer. Uh, apparently he was going to write a book uh, he was going to write a book based on his autobiographical experiences, but presumably he's forgotten what they all are uh, or he wants to change the story. So he's decided now not to write the book. But in another uh, piece of news, Richard Tice, who's here with us, uh, in another piece of news about the Labour Party, apparently uh, a Labour MP, a woman, has reported a shadow frontbench MP to the Metropolitan Police claiming that he sexually assaulted her. Uh, the alleged incident is said to have taken place after a summer party in London in July 2021, and the MP, who's not named in the Guardian this morning, decided to approach the Met in recent weeks. Quite extraordinary. This is 2021. Yeah. This apparently allegedly took place, right. and here we are in early 2023. Mm. It's only just coming out now. Mm. Uh, the person is still there; hasn't been in any way. I mean, how does it take that long to investigate? Right. Uh, any allegation, let alone such a well, serious allegation as that. One can only assume that she's tried to get the Labour Party to deal with it. And the Labour Party, knowing that they have fer- very many problems dealing with women, uh, don't know what to do about it. Uh, they do indeed. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, just extraordinary. I've got to take you back to the abandonment abandonment of Brexit, Mike. Yes, we must by go back this to government that. Because, yes. uh, Let's the, talk about these laws that we're supposed well, to be that's right. Because What's going on there? Uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, when he was briefly the business secretary, introduced what was called the... 
uh, the retained EU law bill to, yeah. to get rid of thousands of unnecessary EU laws right. in one fell swoop, which was one of the Brexit promises, yes. which they've had plenty of time to get on with, mm. as had the civil service. But now, Kemi Badnock, the new uh, business secretary, has basically uh, abandoned it. Yeah. And she came to the House of Commons yesterday. She was told off by the Speaker. Uh, for announcing it in the Telegraph the day before. Was, I thought he was he rather was a bit, he was a um, bit, uh, unpleasant. He really say. lost his shirt, yeah. actually. He I think really he's, was he's quite turn, unpleasant. He's turning into John Burko, isn't he? But the real point was the essence of what she said is that basically she's given up. Mm. Dealing with the blob is too difficult. She's not strong enough. Yeah. She's not tough enough to tell them what to do. Mm. If I was in her shoes, I would have said to those civil servants, either you get this done and agree to get it done within a week, mm. or I'm going to bring in... 30 top people from the private sector, yeah. we're going to sit down and we're going to get it all done yeah. by the end of the summer holidays. Yes. And we're going to prove you lot utterly yeah. and totally how about, incompetent. How about you come back into work from your stay-at-home, uh, you know, working-from-home nonsense, and you, as you say, work seven days a week until it's done, until the end of the summer holidays, because you know what's going to happen. They're going to take most of the summer off soon. We'll be going somewhere in the middle of May. They'll all go, that's it, we're all off now until October. And it's disappointing because, actually, Kemi Badnock is sort of was perceived as one of the uh, the great hopes for yeah. the Conservative Party, yeah. one of the, the strong new potential leaders coming through. And she's shown herself to be weak, uh, not to dig into the detail, mm. not to be tough enough on this, and not to actually tell these civil servants who's in charge. Well, maybe she's worried she's going to get Dominic robbed and she'll end up being accused of bullying and she'll be out of a job. It's just I mean, because this is now what's happened. That the it's, tail it's is wagging the dog. The civil completely. service is not fit for purpose. The Home Office, the Foreign Office, uh, the Business Office, obviously, as well, the Department of Work and Pensions, the Department of Defence, none of it works. None of it works, and therefore the country doesn't work. And mm. we don't make progress. And I just think it's it's another clear example that this government, this conservative regime, is not serious about delivering the Brexit opportunities. No. So they've they've raised taxes, not cut them. They've abandoned the whole idea of cutting daft EU mm. regulation that would in, that would cut costs for businesses mm. so that we could grow faster. And they they haven't in, taken control of the borders. In fact, they've basically given well, up. The they've opened the borders. Worse. And and they've basically said. It's a complete yeah. free-for-all. Welcome, everybody. Uh, we can somehow uh, house you in tents, house, house you in hotels, yeah. squeeze up ten to a house. Here's a barge. And, and, uh, and here's a barge. And let's just pray that somehow we all muddle along together. Mm. Well, the reality is that the quality of life for everybody is plummeting. Yeah. It is deteriorating. The economy is flatlining or going down. Yeah. And it's all because of their incompetent regime yeah. that is leading this country in completely the wrong direction. Absolutely. And we haven't even really talked yet about the illegal migrant problem, which is still going on, which has not abated, which to this point, I think this week has already had yet another 2,000 people added to the roster of places where uh, uh, they're going to have to be put. We don't know what they're doing about the hotels. We've got one barge that can have, what, 500 people on it? That's about a day's worth. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we're going to need a lot of well barges. Just, you might as well just cut to the to the chase. Maybe this is a new growth business. No, cut, out, cut out the middleman. Just send the barge to Calais, pick up 500 people and just bring them <laughs> over. Wouldn't that be easier? You and I would make a lot of money if we, we started could. building some barges just very build quickly. build some barges, put 500 people on it and then just moor them somewhere off Portland Bill. You couldn't make it up. It is absolutely nothing. We, we are We are becoming a laughing stock around the world. Yeah. Because of our utter incompetence and failure to deal with this with the, with this crisis, yeah. it requires courage and leadership. Yes. And there's none of that within this conservative regime. There really isn't. Meanwhile, in the world of woke, we've got um, the prisons people saying ah. that we mustn't call convicts criminals because it might upset them. 
I mean, on what world and what planet do these people live? They're now going to call people who leave prison persons with lived experience or prison leavers. I mean, presumably we're going to call people in prison prison remainders, are we? <laughs> Hey? I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's fair to say that everybody's a person with a lived experience. Yeah. But I mean, this is wokery gone absolutely mad. And it's presumably, once again, mm. it's civil servants who've wasted time, their salaries, uh, our taxpayers' cash, dreaming up this nonsense. And again, you've got ministers who either weren't aware of it or didn't have the strength and courage to say, no, we're not going to do that. Mm. Um, of course, it's, it's part of the Justice Department, mm. uh, I suspect. Yeah, these orders are coming from prison service headquarters. Civil servants are saying, do not call prisoners ex-cons. Yeah, uh, but ultimately, they're responsible to ministers, and either they've basically not told the ministers, mm. or the ministers haven't been strong enough to realise that this is, this is just wokery gone mad. Yeah. And look, the reality is that people who go to prison... Are, they have been convicted. They are offenders. Mm. And that's what everybody should understand that they and are. And usually, in order to be sent to prison, you've probably committed around about 25 to 30 previous offences, prior offences, which they've sort of let you off with on the basis that, you know, you don't need to go to prison that's yet. Right. You haven't committed enough crimes. And as soon as you do commit 30-odd crimes, then you go to prison. So you're actually a multiple So offender. you're a hardened criminal. So, so you are a person with a very serious, yeah. offensive offending experience, yes. not just a lived experience. Yeah. And one should recognise that. And what we'd like, actually, the, the vast majority of the population want people who are sentenced to go to prison for five or ten years mm. to actually stay there yeah. for five or ten years. Exactly. Not for, uh, for about half the period. No, exactly right. And then that brings us back all the way in full circle to Archbishop Wokeby, who we spent a lot of time <laughs> on yesterday. Uh, a man who seems to think that it's ungodly to have the Tory values and it's ungodly to think that people coming here from overseas uh, might be up to no good and could actually be coming here to rob you uh, or, in fact, deal drugs or work in the sex industry. Apparently that's all immoral, but it's perfectly moral to encourage people to make millions and millions of pounds by trafficking human beings and enslaving them in the sex business. He, it's quite I mean, what sort of a bozo is this man? Well, given that uh, he is supposedly the head of the... Uh, head of the Church of England, maybe he should actually focus on his flock. Yeah. Let's remind ourselves that his flock has been declining because of his incompetence Quite during his regime. Yeah. But he seems to have forgotten what the word moral means. I mean, how is it morally acceptable to encourage huge racketeering and profiteering right. from illegal Gang people masters. smuggling? How is it acceptable uh, for vast vested interests in the UK to make huge profits mm. uh, over this illegal trade? It's just utterly, utterly mm. unacceptable. And he's, also, he's completely as, lost the plot. As we pointed out yesterday, he is in a position where he could do something about it. The Church of England has got £8 billion in its investment fund. It owns 200,000 acres of land in this country. Why, don't he, why doesn't he build a couple of migrant towns, situate them somewhere in his well, 200,000 acres? I tell you why, he, I tell you why huh? he shouldn't, because actually what he should be saying is the kind and compassionate and caring thing to do is to stop these people uh, even embarking Risking on this their lives. on this very dangerous mm. uh, trip across mm. the channel the kind compassionate thing to do is to say to France actually we're going to take push them back mm. to France pick them up safely take them back and we'll quickly process them and promptly assess right. them in France on a joint basis. That's the morally correct thing to yeah. do. That's what the Archbishop of Canterbury should be recommended. If he's going to interfere in politics at all, which actually 
really and truly, he shouldn't. He's an unelected bishop yeah. in an unelected legislative chamber that, frankly, should be abolished. And he's just yeah. reminded us all why it should be abolished. And he should take his moral compass and shove it where the sun don't shine. Thank you very much, Wokeby. Uh, Richard Tice, back on uh, Sunday back 10 on Sunday, another blistering Sunday sermon What's that I'm sermon sure about? it'll be listened to by a lot more people than listen to Archbishop Wokeby's <laughs> sermon. That is for sure. Absolutely right. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. Richard Tice, back on Sunday, 10 o'clock. Uh, we'll be back as well uh, with Lord Stuart Jackson talking about Brexit. Isabel Oakshot's here later on as well. We're going to talk too about this prison nonsense. What on earth is going on? Lived experience, not on my watch. This is Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. The wokists are at it again. Uh, don't call prisoners ex-cons because it might hurt their feelings. They're in prison for a reason. They're in prison because they've broken the law. They're in prison quite often because they've done some bad things. Quite often they've hit people over the head. They might have even stabbed someone or shot someone. But that's okay. You don't want to cause any offence to them by calling them ex-cons, do you? Or maybe you could just help them out and say, oh, yes, they've got a lived experience or they're prison leavers. You know, it's not a school they've been to. It's jail. How about this from um, somebody who doesn't give a name? Mike, the reason we're in this state is because the Tories and Labour will not do the bidding of the public over Brexit. We still haven't got it. Remember the stalemate right at the start? They both didn't like the referendum result and refusing to act on it. Uh, this deliberate pressure on the public. Um, this is absolutely right. Brexit has never been properly enacted, right? Anybody who campaigned for Brexit knows that. I sat on College Green in the tent of common sense for an entire year in 2019 before Boris Johnson won that, that unprecedented 80-seat majority and actually got Brexit done. But the truth of the matter is that Brexit has never really been done. And at the end of January of 2020, we were getting ready to do all manner of things. And unfortunately, and I'm sure this is part of the problem, the pandemic hit. And therefore the lockdown came. And so an awful lot of what would have been normal politics was kind of put on hold. And that is the problem. We're going to talk now uh, to Lord Stuart Jackson, Conservative peer, of course, a man who did campaign for Brexit and a man who must be as frustrated as anyone right now looking at what Kemi Badenoch is having to go through and what everybody else who's trying to make Brexit happen is being faced with. Stuart, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Before we get stuck into it, let's just have a look at uh, Lindsay Hoyle, who I think is rapidly turning into John Burko and how he had a go at Kemi Badenoch yesterday in a way that I think was quite unsuitable and quite unacceptable. Let's have a look. I'm, I'm very sorry that the sequencing uh, that we chose was not to your satisfaction. I was... Uh, uh, <coughs> order, 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 order. That is totally not acceptable. No... Who do you think you're speaking to, Secretary of State? I don't want. I think we need to understand each other. I am the defender of this House and these benches on both sides. I am not going to be spoken to by a Secretary of State who is absolutely not accepting my ruling. Take it with good grace and accept it that members should hear it first, not a WMS or what you decide. These members have been elected by their constituents and they have the right to hear it first. And it is time this government recognised we're all elected, we're all members of Parliament and use the correct manners. Secretary of State. I mean, I don't know who he thinks he's talking to, but I mean, surely that's not the way you speak to senior members of the government. Is it, Stuart? I think it was rather over the top and uncalled for, yeah. really, and uncharacteristic for... Lindsay Hoyle, 
I've always had a lot of time for him. He's a decent guy. He's um, doing a good job, generally speaking. I don't think that what Kemi Badenoch said uh, was particularly contentious. He may have felt she was being uh, irreverent or sarcastic. I don't think so. I mean, she was she was being factual mm. in that she said, "Look, I don't. I know you don't like the way we're presenting this." That's all she said. She didn't get a chance to right. develop that thought, and he exploded. And I think, you know, the the, the point is that ministers should. Uh, announce big decisions and policy changes to the House of Commons first. And I think we would all agree with that. And obviously, we in the Lords, uh, we also get statements thereafter. But um, I, I think it obscures the more fundamental view is that, that the the, pro- the promise of Brexit mm. in June 2016 is being watered down. It's being watered down by a Conservative government. And that's very disappointing and is making some people some of my friends in the Conservative Party, very angry. Well, exactly right. And I mean, Kemi Badenoch's problem is not so much that she is facing a wall of disinterest. She's facing a wall of frustration because the people in the civil service who have never wanted Brexit are doing their level best to frustrate uh, and to block anything that she wants to do. Yes. So there are two issues, I think, where I'm quite sympathetic to Kemi Badenoch. And I'm not a Kemi Badenoch super fan or anything like that, but... She's got two uh, points that she raises. I think one point is that, you know, this Conservative government's been in power for three, uh, coming up to four years. Mm. This legislation should have been tabled before September 22. You know, I accept what has been said, and you've said it, Mike, about COVID. Yeah. This should have been done in at the beginning of 2021. Right. So it's not necessarily Kemi Badenoch's fault or Rishi Sunak's fault. Although there is a, a big issue as to whether they're really politically committed and have the drive and the energy to push mm. this through, and I, I question that. The other thing is that it probably was the case that there were too many laws and regulations on the statute book that people lit, simply don't know about, which is a shocking state of affairs that a country can be run with a legal regime where it doesn't know what law is on the statute books mm. because we were recipients, passive recipients of EU legislation from 1973 onwards and we just didn't know what was going on. And there is not the civil service capacity or political willingness or, mi- or willingness for ministers in large part to, to get this job done. Mm. So both the timing um, and the capacity and the, and the logistical difficulty are factors. But coming back to today, I'm not convinced that this is a priority for the government, and that's a very worrying thing. Because well, it it's really gonna is. Up, because there are people starting. People. There are people starting to yeah. ask the question now, Stuart, uh, whether in fact, if Labour does win the next election, we will see, uh, you know, Sakir Softy doing yet another U-turn on what he said about not wanting to rejoin the EU, and suddenly <clears> starting <throat> making noises about doing just that. Yes, and I think it's a reasonable point to, to make that if you're in a position where you were going to scrap 4,000 laws, you're now going to only scrap uh, 600 mm. by the end of this year. You're going to effectively get rid of the uh, sunset clause, well, you will get rid of the sunset clause. So what then happens is the default position is that these pieces of legislation stay on the statute book. Now, what that means is an incoming Labour government, the vast majority of whom Mm. are vehemently pro-EU and anti-Brexit, 
will then start to manoeuvre behind the scenes uh, without telling the electors properly and and try and align what they call dynamic alignment by keeping the legislation with the EU, making it much more difficult to rejoin the single market, the customs union, and eventually rejoin the EU. And that is, I think, the bigger agenda for people like Alistair Campbell, yeah. Mandelson, and some of the others. Yeah, oh, they're never going to give it up. They, as soon as they think there's a chink of light that they can sort of, you know, explore and, 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 uh, and anticipate uh, and exploit, they will continue to do it. But speaking of uh, acting behind the scenes, what do you make of the latest news that's come out uh, via Sky News yesterday um, that Sue Gray uh, was in personal contact with Harriet Harman um, in the period while she was doing the Privileges Committee inquiry into Partygate, because we now know that she was talking to Keir Starmer, albeit apparently they were just talking about the football, uh, nothing to do with uh, whether she could go and work for him. Um, it now turns out she was also talking um, to the chair uh, of, the, of the inquiry, Harriet Harman. Well, my, my position on this is clear. It's clearly a kangaroo court. It's clearly been convened. Mm. I'm afraid, and I can say this, I was in the Commons, I'm now in the Lords, no other parliamentarian <clears throat> would have been treated in this way. Uh, there's a paucity of evidence uh, that, that, that the procedures are not being followed properly. And whatever my good friends, Sir Charles Walker and others say, I think this should be ended quickly. It's an embarrassment to Parliament. Mm. It will reflect badly on Parliament. And we've d- discussed this before. There were there were overtones of the way that the Republicans went after Bill Clinton in 1995 over Monica Lewinsky. Yeah. It backfired and he got re-elected. And, you know, pe- people in, in our country, they really value fair play and transparency. And I think they see a political witch hunt to, to destroy, not just get him out of Parliament, but destroy the reputation of Boris Johnson, which is quite wrong. And as for Sue Gray, ministers have only got themselves to blame. You know, when I was a special advisor, Sue Gray was treated like some deity, mm. some god that you mustn't transgress mm. her rulings. She, she, she was a decent enough civil servant who did an important job, but she, she wasn't some messiah. And ministers should have stood up to Sue Gray and been a bit more robust in the way that, that they had relationships with her. But, I mean, that's in the past. She's gone now. She's showing herself to be a partisan and a Labour supporter and I think she's set back the general cause of civil service impartiality Mm. by quite some way. Oh, I think she has. But in many ways, she's the sort of poster girl for the civil service now because we now know that they are completely and utterly... partial, that they are completely and utterly in the camp of Remain, and they are completely and utterly uh, set upon uh, frustrating and blocking any kind of government activity whatsoever. Well, we've got a sort of Mandarin's trade union in the Lords where they, you know, like Pavlov's dog, they they react to every criticism of the civil service as if it was, you know, a a heinous crime. So we've got former permanent secretaries and deputy permanent secretaries and various others... (coughs) But um, the fact is, we have a system that was established in the 1850s called the Northcote Trevelyan system, where you have a permanent, Mm. seemingly impartial civil service. I think that model is dead. And I think we need to think about doing what so many other countries do, at least consider the merits of it, which is to have a situation where a party that wins election brings in its senior people, uh, and then everyone below that reasonable senior level in the civil service goes through a proper process of being interrogated by by parliament 
so that we know who's in government, what their views are, what their record is. It's what other countries do. And I just think we need to think about modernising our own system in that way in the UK as well. Yeah, well, I think it's not uh, um, ridiculous, is it, to believe that you should have a government that can, act, can enact the laws and the rules and the policies that it was actually voted in to do, uh, rather than it being blocked every five minutes by people who were not elected. Yes, and the other thing is the senior judiciary, such as the Supreme Court. Mm. This is a self-selecting uh, cohort of people, uh, unlike the United States, where you have confirmation hearings for the Supreme Court nominees. Yes, it's contentious, but it does flush out the debate about their issues, their values, their beliefs, their their position as a jurist. We don't have any of it. This mm. is all done in secret in this country. No one knows who's on the Supreme mm. Court. We didn't know until the, the famous Spider Woman, Brenda Baroness Hale, Hale appeared, yeah. appeared in 2019. I don't think we need to be doing our politics and government in the dark. And we do need openness and transparency. Yeah, absolutely right. Couldn't agree more. Lord Stuart Jackson, Conservative peer. Good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Coming up, uh, we'll take more of your calls. Uh, we'll take more of your views. I'll tell you some more about the disgraceful immigration figures which we're about to get come the end of this month. As many as one million people coming here. And that's legal, apparently. This is Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is Friday, of course. We've reached the end of yet another tumultuous week uh, in the wide, wide world uh, of international broadcasting. And there's been quite a few stories. Uh, don't forget, it was a Monday morning uh, where we had the bank holiday uh, and it was all kicking off then. Uh, we had the remarkable coronation weekend, uh, all covered very well here by Talk TV, of course. Coming up tonight at seven o'clock, we've got Plank of the Week, uh, which will have matters arising from that particular weekend. And it might not surprise you to know there's quite a few references to the coronation and very possibly to Prince Harry as well. Coming up uh, in this section of the show, Gavin Mortimer joins us. He's with The Spectator, of course, but he's also over in France. He's going to explain to us why it is that people are managing to find it so easy to come to this country from parts abroad, uh, illegally on boats, because basically they come across Europe where they face no border checks whatsoever. They get all the way to the Normandy coast and they then decide... Why don't I just get on a dinghy and find my way to uh, the UK, to Dover, uh, to Folkestone, to um, uh, parts west of there. Sometimes they go all the way to Dorset uh, in these dinghies. But what we do know uh, is that regardless of the, uh, the illegal migration, the big problem is the legal migration of a million people coming here in 2022 alone. Sir Keir Starmer, uh, who's just given up writing his book, says that what we should be doing is building more houses for asylum seekers. I say what we should be doing is making sure that asylum seekers don't come here in the numbers that they are coming here in. And by the way, who are these lefty idiots who keep saying, oh, but people have to come here on small boats because there's no other safe routes than to come? Well, excuse me, there's a million people that came here in 2022 legally. So how is it that these bozos can't find their way illegally here and they have to come illegally? Let's find out from Gavin what is going on. Gavin, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. I mean, I'm sick to death of this migration business. You know, I'd quite like to stop anybody coming here, to be honest. I mean, anyone who tells me that it's a great thing for this country to import people from all over the world because we need their labour. I'm sorry, we do not need a million people a year coming here. We certainly don't need 100,000 people coming here illegally on small boats. But nobody seems to know how to stop it. No, they don't. And there's a very interesting interview last Friday, Mike, on French TV with uh, a man uh, from uh, Guinea who was who'd just been turned back at the Italian-French border. Oh, yeah. And the reporter asked him, it was live on air, uh, and he asked him, are there more people, more migrants in uh, North Africa waiting to come over? And he said, oh, there's lots. And he said, no, we're 
the the sub-Saharan Africans are outnumbered by the Tunisians. And the um, the Italian intelligence services predict that there's as many as 900,000 in Tunisia alone waiting to, hopeful of coming over the Mediterranean this year. Add on to that several hundred thousand more in Libya. And this is a crisis of unprecedented proportions. Mm. It really is. And as far as most of them are concerned, I mean, I'm surprised that there even is a border between uh, Italy and France, to be honest. I mean, I remember uh, driving around about sort of the Ventimiglia area uh, and going from France into Italy for lunch and there was nothing, you know, nothing to stop me, nothing to check me, nothing to see who I was. There was not really even a, a sort of a, an empty border post. There was just no border at all. So, I mean, the problem for, for an, awful, an awful lot of, uh, of countries in Europe is that people arrive in Greece, they arrive in, Fra in, 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 uh, in Spain or they arrive in Italy and they can just basically walk to France, can't they? They can. And, of course, um, uh, President Macron, who is the uh, EU's biggest cheerleader, he's very much in favour of, uh, of open borders. And this is one of the great uh, features, free movement of Europe, uh, we're, we're told. But it's um, obviously slightly uh, problematical when it comes to... Um, the free movement of hundreds of thousands of migrants. And, mm. and it's estimated to be um, about 900,000 illegal um, migrants in France plus uh, 500,000 legal migrants. It's very interesting, Mike, at the top of this um, segment when you mentioned legal immigration yeah. into, into the UK because this is now a huge problem too in, um, in France. But whereas in France... Um, is I think last year they issued 108,000 student visas to overseas people. In the UK, it's half a million. Yeah. Add on to that another 100,000 dependents. So you've got 600,000 um, foreign students and their dependents who have come into Britain in the last year. Now, half of that figure, Mike, are made up of Indian and Chinese students. Given that last summer... Uh, the M um, MI5 and the FBI issued a joint warning about the threat from China and, and uh, particularly when it comes to spying. Yeah. You know, we have to ask ourselves, are these Chinese students being vetted thoroughly? Well, I don't think anybody's being vetted thoroughly because I think the idea that you can come to any country as a student and bring dependents with you is completely mad. I mean, you do question the sanity of some of these MPs and some of these civil servants who have concocted these particular policies. Because, you know, OK, I can understand that if universities want to import students because it helps pay for their existence, that's one thing. But why on earth would you say to anybody, if you're coming here for three years to study, why don't you bring your wife, your kids, your aunts, your uncles? You know, I mean, who even knows if these people are related? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And in France, up until 2015... The, the law was that as soon as your studies were finished, you had to return to your country of origin. But the socialist government scrapped that policy in 2015. So these students now just stay here. Yeah. How, how do we know that they actually complete their course and they don't drop out after a month? We don't, because the whole system is in chaos. And then what we get, Mike, is we get people like the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Pope, um, and other well-meaning people, uh, misguided people, yeah. saying that it's morally unacceptable to, to raise any um, concern about this um, this problem. And yeah. the Archbishop of Canterbury was obviously, he was re referring specifically to uh, the government's migration bill, and he, he called it morally unacceptable. But it's morally unacceptable just to let hundreds of thousands of people 
into the country, many of whom you don't know anything about. Right. Well, surely it's also morally unacceptable to encourage people smuggling, to encourage gang masters, to encourage, um, you know, the enslaving of women into the sex industry uh, or the enslaving of men into the drugs industry, which, as we well know, is a very large portion of the illegal migration on the small boats. But, you know, the bottom line here is, is this from Kingsley. Mike, he says, when you come as a student and bring dependents, you are also allowed to bring children with you who can then be enrolled in our schools. And there is no mechanism for charging the student for their schooling. So it's cheaper than putting them in a, a paid-for school, even if it's back home. So if they're bringing their kids here, filling up classrooms, filling up schools in this country, you know, it's a joke, isn't it? It is a joke. And, of course, people like the Archbishop of Canterbury, I don't suppose he has to wait for a DP's appointment. It's, it's the people in, in um, particularly the working-class areas in the UK mm. and in France that suffer most. And, Mike, there's a, a story that's dominated France in the last 24 hours is that a, um, a mayor of a town in western France, Saint-Gravain, has resigned because his house was um, uh, firebombed right. in, in March, and uh, which is you know, despicable. And it was firebombed because of local opposition to the relocation of a migrant centre next to a primary school. Right. Now, it's... it's now, this is a very emotive issue, and politicians and a lot of people in the um, public eye don't seem to understand how emotive, how divisive it is. And it does seem to be that um, politicians and, and figures such as the Archbishop of Canterbury, you know, criticise those who raise concerns about mass immigration, but don't seem to be aware, don't seem to care about the effects on local communities. And these people have got to, the, the local communities, more much more consideration has got to be given to their needs because at the moment, the infrastructure just can't cope with the number of people arriving in the UK and in France and elsewhere in Europe. In Germany, incidentally, Mike, seeing record numbers of um, asylum applications, 102,000 mm. already this year, and the German government has agreed a new harsher immigration bill. So we're seeing th around Europe governments are realising that something needs to be done. Yeah. And it's important that people like you know, the public figures, instead of just criticising, understand why people are so angry about yeah. this. Because it's now visible. I mean, it wasn't even three or four years ago, before the pandemic, actually, it wasn't the way it is now. I mean, I walk around London a fair amount, as I'm sure you walk around in France. And more often than not now, I hear an awful lot of foreign uh, accents. I hear an awful lot of foreign language. I see lots of groups of young men, particularly, uh, hanging out together on the street corners. Um, you know, they're not all, um, you know, from one particular part of the world. They're all from all over. Some of them from Eastern Europe. Some of them are from Africa, obviously. Some of them are from the Middle East. But they're all hanging around. And it's very obvious that the world is changing before our very eyes. And you can't pretend that that's not happening or pretend that it's a good thing because it isn't. No, and, and, and politicians, you know, the French government, Macron is continually kicking his his much vaunted immigration bill down the road. It was supposed to be presented to uh, uh, to the Senate in March. Mm. It was pushed back to the autumn. Now it's being brought forward again because I think Macron is beginning to understand what a, um, a contentious issue it is. And of course, who benefits the most? Marine Le Pen, Georgia Maloney. That's why she's in power. The yeah. Swedish Democrats. And it's no good for people on the left wringing their hands and saying, oh, how can this be? How can this be? It's obvious why it is, because people feel that politicians are ignoring their genuine concerns about this huge 
problem that's been a problem for a decade yeah. now in Europe. And it's a free-for-all. I mean, imagine how they would treat you in China uh, if en masse the Western Europeans decided to invade China and go and hang about and live there and go, do you know what, I fancy living in China uh, because the, the state provides an awful lot of things for you. Uh, you can get a job, you can bring your kids, you can school them there. We want to learn Chinese because basically that's the way of the future. It wouldn't happen. They wouldn't let it happen. No, no, they wouldn't. It's Europe seen as a soft touch. Um, and uh, that's why so many people from, uh, and, you know, as, as we've said before, Mike, in your show, that if you look at the numbers from the countries of origins, the people crossing the Med, they're from Egypt, um, they're from Bangladesh, they're from other countries in, in um, uh, Morocco, where there is not um, civil unrest. Okay, there may be economic problems, but hey, there's economic problems in Europe now, and we can't keep taking in hundreds of thousands of people a year when we're struggling to heat and eat ourselves. Exactly right. And the thing is, in France, presumably, people are very upset about all sorts of things as we see it on the streets every single weekend, kind of playing out, really, uh, as it were. But, I mean, presumably, somewhere in Europe, there must be people, and it's not just countries like Hungary and Poland and Italy and Greece, but there are countries now who are basically saying, enough is enough. We can't keep doing this. Angela Merkel said that she would welcome anybody into Germany who was fleeing Syria and the war, right? Everybody suddenly came from Syria and entered Germany. A million people. You know, these numbers are not uh, even consistent because we've now got a million people coming here legally, having been invited here by the government, and we don't even know if they're staying. We don't even know if they're leaving. We have no record of whether they leave or not. You know, you're talking mad figures. Yeah, we are. And which country in Europe has handled the migrant crisis the best, Mike, is Denmark, which incidentally is a left-wing government. But it was a left-wing government actually with some brain cells in it. It realised how important this issue was to the majority of the people. So it's adopted the most stringent uh, migration bill in in Europe. Mm. If, if people in Britain uh, are throwing up their hands in horror at the Conservative government. Go and look at what the Danish left-wing government is doing, which incidentally is what um, a, a French minister did last week. He visited Copenhagen, talked to the Danish government, an indication perhaps of just the, the, um, the, the approach that Macron's going to take, that he is going to perhaps finally introduce a very a tough bill because it needs to be done. We can't keep going like this. It's nearly 50,000 people across the Mediterranean this year into Italy. Mm. Italy's declared a state of emergency. Throughout Europe, countries are struggling um, and, and the people are getting angrier and angrier. And they don't take kindly to being lectured to by people in palaces, whether it's the Archbishop of Canterbury, members of the royal family, whatever it is, they want something done about it. They really do. And I think we are literally, as our last caller said, at breaking point. People mm. can't put up with it anymore. No. And, and I mean, we take a long time to get angry in this country, but I think that's beginning to happen. It is beginning to happen. And, uh, you know, we, there was a very uh, sinister march through Paris at the weekend by several hundred far-right people waving their Celtic crosses, all masked up, masked mm. up, wearing black. Um, you've got far-left counter-demonstrations. It's, it's really quite a, a, a tense and febrile atmosphere yeah. in France. And I fear that it could something similar could happen in Britain and throughout Europe if governments don't really grasp this situation. Mm.
I think you're absolutely right, Gavin. Thanks very much indeed. Gavin Morton, a writer at The Spectator, uh, and of course, uh, writing in and reporting to us from France, where things are taking a turn for the worse, as they will do here. The lefty woke morons that want us to accept all migrants should realise there will eventually be blood on the streets, chaos and deprivation as a result uh, of the current government migration policies. I'm starting to fear for my own kids' futures in this country and I'm not alone, says Nick. Uh, here's this one uh, from uh, uh, somebody who doesn't give a name. How come I need visas and up-to-date passports to travel when all these scroungers come here with nothing and we welcome them with open arms, give them a place to stay, food, money, phones? Absolutely unbelievable. Well, the thing is, I don't think they're even coming here to get benefits. Sometimes benefits are the result of what they get. But many of them are coming here to work in the black economy. They're not paying tax. They're coming here because they can. They're coming here as a free-for-all, open borders policy. It's complete madness, and it has to stop. It really does. If this government doesn't stop it, it's going to be a lot worse for them than just losing the election. This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. As ever, another busy day. The Royal Mail Chief Executive Officer, Simon Thompson, is to step down uh, on account of the Royal Mail being completely and utterly useless. Uh, he couldn't even send himself a letter of resignation uh, because it would never have got there in time. I mean, that's basically what we're talking about. Also, we've just learned that the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, Archbishop Wokeby, as we like to call him, has been done for speeding. Uh, terribly, terribly careless of him. Last October, 25 in a 20, uh, going along the Albert Embankment, if you know it. Uh, it's not far from uh, the Chelsea Pensioners headquarters, but uh, that's basically where he got done. And also, of course, we're going to be talking this morning and this afternoon as well with Isabel Oakshot about the breaking news that we did, first of all, at the start of the show. A million people, we believe, will be the number of legal migrants who came to this country in 2022. It's quite extraordinary. Also, we'll talk about the uh, Zelensky situation Apparently, he asked to make a special appearance at the Eurovision Song Contest. And incredibly, the BBC have actually turned it down. So they don't want to turn it into a political spectacle. Amazing. James Well joins us as well. He's won uh, a recognition award for his lifetime achievements in broadcasting. And also Charlie Bentley Astor will join us from Cambridge University. She's a student there uh, who's had an event cancelled uh, because so many people wanted to demonstrate around it uh, that they said it wasn't safe for her to put it on which is unfortunately a very good example of what's going wrong in our seats of learning. But let's say a very good afternoon to Isabel Oakshot, Talk TV's international editor. Uh, Isabel, uh, how are you doing today? Hello. Well, I am very exercised by these latest net migration projections from the Centre for Policy Studies. So we don't yet have the full figures for net annual migration, mm. the latest batch. They don't come out for another few weeks. But analysts uh, reckon that the when those figures do come up, they may show uh, up to one million figure of mm. net migration. It's an extraordinary this- number, isn't it? It is an extraordinary number. And look, I think this is one of the biggest political betrayals of modern times. Uh, you know, you think back to the Lib Dems when they pledged that they would um, abolish tuition fees and then went into coalition with the Conservatives and actually did the precise opposite of yes. that. And they paid a dreadful, dreadful political price for that. Well, here we have the Conservatives who have repeatedly over the last 12 years promised voters that they would get control of our borders. You look back to 2010, on the 10th of January 2010, David Cameron said that he wanted to reduce net migration to the tens of thousands. 
Well, now we've taken back control, supposedly, of our borders by uh, delivering Brexit, as Boris would claim. Why are we in this territory? Well, we're in this territory because basically I believe, and I haven't said this before today, they've lied to us. I really do believe that because while saying with the one uh, sort of voice, we're going to take back control of our borders, what we can say absolutely categorically is that we have lost control of the borders and it's much worse now than it has ever been. And actually, to a great extent, it's been a deliberate policy. And I've just been looking at the um, skilled worker occupation shortage list, yeah. which is a list of occupations that if you if you do that job and you're from overseas, you can be fast tracked to get a visa to live here. Yeah. Um, and I mean, honestly, you wouldn't believe some of the occupations that are on there. I mean, are we really claiming as the government does that we have a shortage of artists. I'm not making this up. Right. I mean, any artists, web designers. I mean, maybe there is a shortage of web designers, but we also have over 5 million of our own citizens sitting around on out-of-work benefits right. who could absolutely train to be web designers. Yeah. Um, and, and on and on the list goes. IT people, architects, carers. I mean, not telling me that there aren't many hundreds of thousands of people in this country who are out of work, who aren't entirely capable yeah. of being carers. Well, there's five million people on, who are called so-called economically inactive. We learned today as well from a separate piece uh, from the government that 600, 600, sorry, 650,000 people decided to stop working during the pandemic and have never come back to work. And that's costing the economy even more money. So they're all capable of working. And also web designers, whatever made them think they had to come and work here? You know, India, for example, has an awful lot of IT specialists, but people can work in India, guess what, on the internet. They don't have to come to Britain. Well, precisely. If anyone knows how to work on the internet, it's presumably the web designers. Yeah. Uh, the other absolute scandal here is the use and abuse of student visas. So not only does this takes place at all levels, I mean, essentially all you have to do if you want to come here for a good period of time is sign up and pay a deposit yeah. on a on a course. You don't actually have to do the course. No, no one checks that you ever actually turn up at your college. So if you're prepared to pay 500 quid or whatever, um, then happy days, you know, in you come and you can stay uh, probably for as long as you like because the other thing that the Tory manifesto of 2019 promised is that they would check who's coming in and out. But yeah. you don't actually do that. So once you're in, you're basically mm. And furthermore, you've got the postgrad uh, visas, which allow people to sign on to a course and then bring their dependents. Well, that's absolutely out of control. The numbers of dependents that are being brought in has quadrupled yes. in recent years. And so, I, I, we've, also con we've also kind of created our own sort of population matrix, whereby many of the people who come here on small boats illegally, which is a smaller number than, than the legal number now, are coming here because they say they have family connections here. Now, for all we know, uh, people are coming here on student visas, claiming that they can live here, then getting the rest of the family over uh, on the small boats and they can say, oh, yeah, we've got a family member who lives in Leicester. You know, it's so ridiculous. And these lefty lawyers who say, oh, the reason they come on small boats is because there's simply no other way for them to get here. Well, there's a million people that have come the legal route. So what's the problem? I mean, it's an absolute nonsense, actually. I mean, nobody needs to take a small boat. Actually, it's a lot cheaper just to 
put down a deposit on a student course. That yeah. costs, you, say, a few hundred quid. Right. No one. Needs to, I don't want to encourage anyone to do this. <laughs> but I do want to kind of blow a hole in the argument that there's no other way to get here. You know, come here and study. Right. You know, that's the quickest route. Right. Um, just to correct the figures that I gave before on the dependence of postgrad students, they've actually risen tenfold, not quadrupled. They've risen tenfold in the last four years. So well over 100,000. Yeah. And it's, it's obviously a racket. I mean, you don't have to be a genius to look into these figures, as you've just done, explain how they work and, and look as though it, it's just it's just being used by people and abused by people who want to come to Britain and live. So I think we now need to decide, is Britain full and what does that look like? Yeah. Uh, and of course, it's very provocative to say Britain is full. I mean, I said that on Twitter this morning, yeah. knowing get a barrage of abuse knowing that there'd all be all sorts of wailing and gnashing of teeth mm. about the fact that i don't know only i'm making this up but three percent of our land mass is actually populated well you know yes if you want to go and live at the top of the cairngorms um you know there's plenty of room mm. What does an overfull country look like? I mean, we already have the densest population uh, of any country in Western Europe. Mm. An overpopulated country looks like one whose infrastructure has not kept up with the pace of population growth. So fine, you know, if we're going to add, we decide collectively as a country that we want to add another 10 million people, I'm sure we can find places for them to live, particularly in remote parts of Scotland. But you've got to have the infrastructure to keep up. I mean, schools, I mean, roads, I mean, trains that actually run. I mean, an NHS and I mean, schools that actually teach children well enough mm. so that they don't end up claiming out of work benefits and can actually do some of these skilled yeah. workers jobs but we we had a call this morning isabel from a guy called dan who said that he goes around sort of fixing up houses and he does double glazing for them and he was working on behalf of a landlord two foreign families one from lithuania who had four kids another from uh, i think it was somalia who had six kids that's 10 children um who are presumably being catered for in the school system um and it's no wonder that the schools are all getting full Absolutely. And the same goes for the NHS. I mean, this is just I really find it hard to, to grasp why people don't understand this. Right. In the end, unless you expand the infrastructure, then the two things don't match up. And those people who've been living here, are born here and have paid into the tax system all their lives mm. and are continuing to work hard in low paid jobs whilst being hammered for up to half of what they earn to pay more tax for failing services are rightly absolutely furious that they are not seeing any real benefit mm. for the money that they're giving the exchequer. Well, that's right. And people are starting to say it's all very well saying people are coming here to make their lives better. But if they're making the lives of people who are already here worse, then that's not a fair exchange, is it? Absolutely not. And, you know, Rishi Sunak and the Conservatives are lucky that at the moment, many voters, they don't quite, who are frustrated, they're exasperated by this, don't quite know where to turn. Uh, but there, there's a year left before the general election. And I think this is going to be one of the biggest issues. How can anyone trust the Conservative Party to deliver on this? And by the way, we know that the Labour Party wouldn't be any better because they continue to have senior figures 
claiming that there aren't enough people in this country to do the jobs that we need done and that we need to import more mm. people. Plenty of people in the Labour Party at highest level still want pretty much the open border situation yeah. got. Oh, I know. It's absolutely horrendous. And I don't see any end to it. I don't see any way that they're going to stop the small boats coming, which, again, is a, is a minor sort of irritant, if you like, in terms of it's only 100,000 as opposed to a million. But it's just unsustainable. It's ridiculous. It is, and people will want to feel what what can they do about it, and and that I think is um, the space over the next year that is the big political opportunity for parties like Reform. And just to stress, I'm not a member of Reform or any political party, yeah. but any party that has a um, a hard line on immigration and actually means it and is going to deliver it, I think can do very well. Whether there are other parties that will also get in on that act remains to be seen, but mm. I'm not terribly optimistic. No, sadly not. No, apparently it's very un-British uh, to want to stop people coming here illegally right. or illegally uh, so that we can have completely full-up country, uh, full-up cities, full-up schools, full-up hospitals. Unbelievable. One thing that is surprising me today, though, I'm just going to touch on this before you go, President Zelensky has been blocked by the BBC from addressing the world at the Eurovision Song Contest. Has somebody at the BBC suddenly woken up and gone, actually, maybe we shouldn't be as woke as, as we think? Well, I don't know about you. I'm not a massive Eurovision Song Contest. No, I hate it. Absolutely hate it. What's it all about? It might be that Zelensky's speech would have been the most interesting and serious <laughs> thing about it. Um, as you say, it's a quite a surprise move from the BBC you know normally they they would like something like that yes. uh, but it feels to me as if the European song uh, Eurovision song contest which includes lots of countries that aren't anything to do with Europe um it, it just gets ever more farcical doesn't yeah. it every year yeah, it really does. I, I, for one, will not be watching it. I will not be hosting a party. Uh, I will not be talking about it on Monday when I'm back. Uh, and I hope uh, that you don't watch it either. Not going to. Got better things to do. Well done. Excellent. Have a great weekend. Isabel Oakeshott, Talk TV's international editor uh, on the Eurovision Song Contest. It's very clear, isn't it, that uh, Zelensky um, wants to get in on the act pretty much every chance he gets. Normally speaking, you'd think the BBC would let him, but not this time. Uh, coming up, though, uh, we're going to speak to James Whale, who is, of course, a legend in his own broadcasting life because he's won, would you believe, um, a lifetime recognition award for it. And why not indeed? So we're going to celebrate with James Well coming up next on Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Ian Collins coming up at one o'clock, of course. We'll be talking to him just before the top of the hour to find out what's going on. Also, we'll visit the world of Woke, which is our new little slot uh, where I give you uh, my views on something uh, that has particularly got up my nose today. Galen Harrogate says, Mike, I'm getting more and more angry this morning listening to how people are getting into this country so easily. My son, born and raised here, married an American girl four years ago and settled in America. They have now come home to England as they have more family here. She applied to stay and has been told she cannot apply from here but has to go home to apply. They have a three-year and a two-month-old uh, and she has to go back to America for up to 10 weeks while my son stays here to work. It's just not right. Where is the justice in that? I know, it's absolutely mad. I was married to an American woman at first uh, when, I, when we first moved back from the US to here back in the sort of early 90s. And the hoops we had to jump through when we were legitimately married, I mean, I used to say to them, you know, it's not so much a marriage of convenience, a marriage of inconvenience, actually. Um, but only because I was in the newspaper business, was I able to sidestep Luna House in Croydon, where they wanted to go uh, and have a series of sort of long interviews with us to see whether or not we hadn't just decided to try and jump the queue uh, for money. 
Unbelievable. But come on a small boat. Don't worry. Stay in a hotel. Have some free food. Here's a credit card so you can go out and buy some fags. Unbelievable. Coming up tonight at 7pm, uh, it is, of course, the one and only Plank of the Week. We're back. Have a look. There is a bit of me that we've gone from the, uh, the, uh, the rich diversity of the Abbey to a terribly white balcony. I'm very <laughs> struck by that. Yeah, I mean, it might have been appointed comments that Meghan Markle wasn't on the balcony. It might have so been. It could have been, it could have been code for that. She should have said, well, you know, shame Meghan's not Isn't there. Isn't it a shame Meghan's made not her, here? She actually made... You know, people say the United Kingdom's not a racist country, but I beg to differ. It is racist. It's racist against white people now. Yeah. You know, the complaint is that we're institutionally racist against ethnic minorities. It's completely the other way around, and that was clear yeah. evidence of it. Well, imagine uh, somebody said, I think, that she's got um, one parent who's black and one parent who's white. I think one of them's from Gambia, and somebody posted a picture of the Gambian sort of ruling family. And they're all black. You know, I don't think anybody in their right mind would go, that's a terribly black picture, <laughs> would they? They're from Gambia. What do you expect? <laughs> Unbelievable stuff. 7pm tonight. It is Plank of the Week. Um, right now, though, uh, we're going to talk about some woke business uh, because up at Cambridge University, as you might not be too surprised to know, uh, the authorities are a little bit nervous about certain events that get put on, certain events that are planned. And we're going to speak now uh, to Charlie Bentley Astor, who's a student up at Cambridge University. She was hoping to put on um, a film up there, which, of course, was... Um, described as an anti-feminist documentary, right? And the campus uh, judges, the people who run the place, decided that actually, oh no, it's far too controversial. One of the reasons they think it's controversial is that the author of the documentary, uh, the man who made the documentary, once had an interview with Jordan Peterson, and Jordan Peterson rather liked what he did. And that was one of the reasons stated as to why, if there was to be a big demonstration against the showing of this film, uh, they might have to cancel it. But let's have a look at Claire Fox. She is, of course, Baroness Fox, talking about this in the House of Lords. I also hope that the soon-to-be-appointed free speech champion might initiate a call for evidence so that we might assess which issues are prone to cancellation, the scale of the problem that often goes on behind the scenes behind the traditional no-platform headlines. Only today, a student from St John's College, Cambridge, Charlie Bentley-Aster, contacted me because a film showing that she'd organised of a documentary, Birth Cap, Childless World, has been cancelled. A campaign by certain student activists and Varsity magazine objected to the film's director, Stephen Shaw, who's flown over, by the way, from the US to speak at the event on Friday, because shock horror he appeared on a Jordan Peterson podcast. But that's all gist to the mill, and Miss Bentley Astor defended her opponent's right to protest outside the film, because thankfully some students are liberal and believe in civil liberties. However, it was the college authorities who've now ruled that due to the mere threat of a demonstration, and despite the film organisers creating a detailed risk assessment and organising stewards, Using the college has now said, using the familiar, it's too disruptive and we're thinking of the safety of the attendees, they've called the film off. And therefore, I think sometimes the threat of civil action, something harder, is necessary. I also urge the government in that instance to make this legislation a real living instrument of free speech, not a box-ticking exercise for university managers. And I want to credit the noble Lord, Lord Mendoza, Provost at Oriel for recently hosting a Living Freedom event on the lessons we can learn from Locke and Milton for free speech, which was well attended by students, because that's the kind of thing we need to be positive, not to win. 
Indeed, that is the kind of thing we need. Baroness Fox there, who is a great supporter of free speech, much more so probably than many people inside the House of Lords. Let's talk now though, to Charlie Bentley Astor, who is the student at Cambridge University, uh, who's right in the midst of all of this. She wanted to screen this film, Birth Gap, Childless World, a documentary which blames the pitfalls of feminism in the modern dating world. But instead of which, she's found herself in the centre of a sort of cancel um, war. Charlie, very good uh, afternoon to you. Thanks for uh, coming on. Afternoon, Mike. So, um, tell us about the ins and outs of what happened, because I understand that now, finally, after sort of several goings backwards and forwards with the authorities, they've basically agreed uh, that you can't put this thing on for fear of a, of a, of a sort of um, a demonstration that might be a bit noisy. Yeah, exactly. And the ironic thing is, is that I think the college think the protest is going to go away but the fact that we're not there, and I think it will definitely reduce in size. Yeah. But protesters will turn up and, and continue to make that same noise they were worried about yeah. to punish the college for inviting Stephen and I in the first place. Right. And didn't they put the onus on you to sort of guarantee that there would not be a disturbance, which is kind of the wrong way around anyway, because you all you want to do is show a film to some people who are presumably, I don't know if they're going to pay to see it, but are quite happy to go and look at something, uh, which might be a curious um, uh, wanting from them or it might just be because they, they're interested in something but because uh, another group has said we don't want this film to be shown and I don't know why they would say that um, you're not able to show it Yeah exactly the tickets are free because I wanted any student that was wanted to see the film to be able to mm. They, the college did put the um, onus on me to control the noise. Obviously, it's not my protest and not my noise. If right. it was my event, if I was hosting, you know, a gig or something, um, you know, a rave, I would understand that it's on me to make sure the yeah. noise doesn't cause disruption. But it's, it's the students causing the disruption. Yeah. And um, they asked me to be able to demonstrate how I was going to mitigate mitigate the, the noise of the protest, i.e., basically control the protest but this protest is on a public street and even even the police have a limited, mm. limited jurisdiction yeah. on, on protests. I mean surely Cambridge University can't demand that there are no protests around the public streets of Cambridge University at any time I mean, it's not really within their gift is it? No it's not and I don't think I'd want the university to have that kind of jurisdiction I think students should be able to protest anything they want to but yeah. students are stopping other students including myself and the students that were coming to see this film from from congregating from listening right. to what we want to so they're impinging upon our right to to right. to congregate and to speak and what is it in the film that they object to so much these demonstrators what are they complaining about good question i've asked they won't give me a straight answer they they give it all the headlines it's it's um misogynistic, homophobic, bigoted, all of these things. Like I say, what about it in the film is homophobic? You know, what is what is um, misogynistic? Yeah. And, and they can't answer. And so they, um, they, yeah, it's it's a bizarre set of circumstances because none of the students have actually watched the film before they started, you know, uh, running their mouths off and screaming from the high hills. Yeah. And we've just seen a couple of clips from it there. Stephen Shaw, the, the, the man who made it, talks about the fertility rate in the world going down. It's been shown at the Chelsea Film Festival in New York, which I presume is not uh, particularly hard line. It's presumably quite a liberal film festival. So if it can be shown there, why can't it be shown at Cambridge? Well, it's been shown twice there, which is, is pretty unheard of mm. for, for that film festival. You don't get a repeat, repeat showing a pre repeat award. Um, it's beyond belief why students here don't... What, you know, if students don't want to see it, that's fine. But they shouldn't stop other students from seeing it. But mm. Stephen's gone all over the world to different universities with this film and had no issues. And staff here are reaching out to me 
privately because they're nervous to say it publicly, but they're reaching out to me in their tens privately, expressing their outrage that that this is being cancelled mm. and that, that students and staff can't meet and, and associate however they want to. Yeah. I mean, one of the things they said to you, I've got a statement here from them, is that we are in the midst of exams and it means the event will need to be postponed on this occasion because of the impact of significant noise on students revising in adjacent accommodation. Does that mean they're willing to let you show it at another time? Well, this is the thing. Um, several several um, factors in my interaction with the college make me believe that I could do this all again and they'd find another reason to yeah. not do it. It does look a bit um, like that, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, but the fact of the matter is, is Stephen was, uh, the filmmaker, was getting on the plane when the college told me that they'd cancel the event he'd bought the tickets booked the hotels it's cost him thousands to come mm. over here to speak to these students and Stephen can't understandably this film is is not funded by any big organizations it's all it's all fundraised and so Stephen can't afford to to make that that thousands of pounds trip again mm. um to do this in a few few months and i'm not here in a few months you know i'm 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 done with my degree in the next yeah. few months and so this was this was the opportunity and and mm. it's been cancelled yeah is there any chance you can show it somewhere else i mean would that be difficult as well yeah so so it's that's the problem rearranging it's taken months to get to this point and we've essentially had 48 hours to find a new venue and we haven't been successful mm. um steven's luckily in the country for about another week week and a bit and so we're trying to find somewhere even if it means we have to go to london to find a space yeah um, but we're determined that, that the students that wanted to see this film will see this film we're doing everything to make sure that happens and what do you think it is about the modern student um as you are one yourself which is so kind of snowflakery because, you know, they don't want to see things that might upset them. They don't want to see things they don't agree with. I mean, what is wrong with them? <laughs> I wish I knew. I wish I knew. <laughs> um, uh, I, won't, I won't say what uh, my suspicion is. Um, probably not, not for, for radio and TV. Yeah. But there is, there is an intolerance towards, towards ideas that don't suit um your worldview you know and university historically has always been the place where you you go to have your ideas challenged it's where you go to grow up you know it's the yeah. halfway between your parents house and and the real world and so this is you know historically students have, have been protesting against authorities mm. to be able to do what they want and to say what they want and say heretical things and and have people talk that otherwise don't get heard and now it's the opposite it's like the students are are trying to get the authorities to crack down harder right. it's, it's a complete inversion of the tradition and it is this kind of mad i call it the sort of the torch outside dracula's castle brigade you know they just sort of run constantly for some kind of emergency you know and they wave yeah. the torches around and you know kill the witch and it's almost like the witch trials uh, of salem back in the sort of you know centuries ago in america it's it's very weird and it's almost counter to educational requirements you know it's like don't teach me this i don't want to know about it exactly and it's a very bizarre set of circumstances because the majority of the protesters are from a, a sort of trans rights group oh, a funny thing. within the university and the film has nothing to do with uh trans people at all yeah. it doesn't even talk about biological sex you know maybe the fact that the film is talking to women about fertility is, mm. is maybe ringing some home truths that that these protesters don't like um but you know with regard to the the misogyny claim it's the complete opposite it's the empowerment of women it's giving women 
information that is little known about fertility, about forming long-term relationships, mm. about um, balancing career and motherhood. And this is coming from other women who have done it and been successful or failed and are, and are feeling you know, mm. grief or distress about it. Right. And so it, it's in female empowerment. It's not, it's not anti-feminist. No. Well, I hope you find somewhere. Maybe as a result of being on here, somebody will offer a venue for you over the next week or so. Let's hope so. Charlie, good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Charlie Bentley Astor, student at Cambridge University, where, of course, learning has become a thing of the past. They don't want to learn anything in Cambridge. They want to go in with their own fixed ideas. They don't want to hear what your ideas are. And they just want to keep their own ideas and talk to other people who have got the same ideas as them. Doesn't sound very educational to me, does it? This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.